This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. And what an episode we have for you today. Sibling rivalry, supermodels, scholarships and more. I was in conversation with a top model herself, Tyra Banks. She talked about, yes, her love for ice cream, but also motherhood, the juggle, the struggle and her advice for midlife entrepreneurs. Fantastic opportunity to pick the brains of a woman who does so, so much. We were also marking midlife. What about making a big change in your life or your career in your 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s in conversation with the midlife mentors on their advice for living by your values and some exercises you can do as you move into that phase of your life? Also in discussions with Global Village and Bloom World Academy about a brand new competition for the young creatives in your life. They could make a film and win their education paid for. And in our psychology hour, clinical psychologist Dr. Thryer on hand as we navigate adult sibling rivalry. Banks is in Dubai and I am personally and professionally very excited. It's so lovely to have you here. You are, of course, TV personality, model, actress, mother, entrepreneur. And now we've got Smice and Dream here in Dubai, your ice cream brand that's launching at Brunch and Cake this weekend. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. From that very brief introduction, you've got an awful lot of hats on and plates spinning. So really do appreciate your time. Can I start with that? The totally. Sp- the spinning plates. Because they're spinning right now. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and I'm always really careful to introduce people, parents, as mothers, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that takes up so much of our time mm-hmm. and our care and our attention and our emotions. And as a working mum myself, and I know a lot of people listening today will look at you and be like, oh, my word, it's Tyra Banks. She's a <laughs> mum and now she's launching this and she's in Dubai and she travels and she looks incredible. I guess the short question is how? 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 Well, the the working mom thing, um, my man and I, who's in the room here, hey, um, we live with my mom. So so there's no way that I could do what I do without living with my mother. My mom makes breakfast every morning for the family. Um, Probably 50% of the week she's cooking dinner. The other 50% we're ordering (laughs) food. Um, I mean, she's she's everything. She she really supports our family. Um, and I don't think I could have done this without her. And of course, my man, of course, he is, um, supportive super, partner, super, super supportive. He's getting up and being the most amazing stepdad in the world. So thank you for saying that, yeah. because I feel like whether people say it or not, or it's just a kind of perception people put out that they're doing it by themselves. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I live really far from my mum, but we're lucky in mm. Dubai that we can have help. And I feel like when mm. you don't acknowledge the help and support around you, yeah. it does a disservice to you. And the people that mm-hmm. help you and people that look at you and think, well, if she can do it, why can't I? Exactly. So yeah. thank you for saying that. You're so lucky to have your mum, <laughs> my goodness. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Well, we're here, of course, to talk about entrepreneurship. And I find it so fascinating to think about people such as yourself who, you know, discovering your teens and working and earning and <clears throat> hustling hard. And you to draw a parallel with like athletes, like NFL stars who are, you know, really thrown in the spotlight and often a lot of money thrown at them at a really early age. And traditionally, these kind of quite short-lived careers, you know, athletes, models. Very similar because it's based on the physical, you age out. Right. So Mm -hmm. then what? And you've got this kind of 
path, this fork in the road where you go, okay, who am I now? Mm -hmm. This identity. And what you're kind of living proof is, is there's such longevity in a career if you've got passion and imagination and, (laughs) you know, an eye on the future, I guess. And that's not the case for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you could kind of give us a little insight in terms of for anyone that is a bit of a fork in the road or anyone who's thinking, who am I and what's next? How was it for you? Well, I have something for people that are still in it no matter what their job is, particularly if their job has some type of expiration date. And it doesn't always relate to age. There's just certain, you know, jobs that it's just a a contract or something. My mom always says, um, plan for the end at the beginning. So she used to tell me we would be backstage at a fashion show and she would say, oh, yeah, you're on the cover of everything right now. Everybody wants you. You're going to be the first to walk out on this runway today. But where was the model? And she would list certain names. Where are they this season? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, they're not getting hired this season. Their phone is ringing less. And one day that's going to be you. So she said, it is important to be in front of that. Mm -hmm. And she said, leave them before they leave you. Mm -hmm. And so that first I thought it was cruel when she was saying this to me. I didn't understand why she was saying this. And now, of course, I totally get it because she made sure that I had a plan so I walked away from a Victoria's Secret contract that was on a table for many years because I think it probably would have been the last one. I don't know. They were really good with age, actually, that company. <laughs> they didn't really toss us out with age. But but I still felt that it was time mm-hmm. to transition. And to do it on your terms. To do it on my terms and not, you know, panicked or trying to figure out and, you know, it, it was very strategic. You get people who have been abandoned, left, tossed mm-hmm. out, as you say, and then you're scrambling, going like, okay, what next? Mm-hmm. And grabbing onto something, the wrong thing. Exactly. Or being nervous about the new one coming behind you. Yeah. You know, young models, I would mentor them and talk to them and tell them about the pitfalls. But that's because I had a plan. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't threatened by them. I was excited by them. Because I'm like, I bursted open these doors as a black woman and you're about to come in and you're about to walk in. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be a little bit easier because of what I did. And I think but because I had a plan, it was such easy to a mentor. good example of exactly that. It's not just about smashing, you know, those glass ceilings. It's mm-hmm. about opening a door and holding it open for the exactly. person behind you. Exactly. And I'm a really firm believer that, you know, you can't be it until you see it. Mm-hmm. And for you, um, just an incredible example of that, of being held up as someone who's not, you know, quote, just a model, but someone who, as you say, an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. someone who's giving us kind of hope to now. So let's talk about entrepreneurship. Yes. Is, okay. Could you imagine 20 years ago that you'd be in Dubai talking about, well, having the most incredible ice cream? All of it just sounds crazy. I know, right? That, that all sounds just like some fantasy weird like a thing. dream. In Dubai... <laughs> On your radio show, talking about having an ice cream company that we're launching here? No. Absolutely crazy. So where did the idea come from and what? Um, I, I was going to do an ice cream company 17 years ago. I had a business plan. I had partners. There was a, a very um, – they were kind of new, a gelato um, company that was run by a family. And we had partnered and I was going to go. But at the same time, I was going to start a chat show, my own talk show called The Tyra Show, whatever the hell we were calling it back then. And I knew – talking about business, that you cannot start two businesses at the same time and expect for them to be successful. Mm -hmm. They will probably both fail because talk shows the first year, 90% of them fail. Second year, I think 80%. I know there's some crazy statistics of failure. And so I knew that I couldn't do both. So I put that business plan on a shelf, moved out of my nice house in Beverly Hills, moved across the street to my talk from my talk show and, and, and kind of, you know, nice 
apartments, very simple apartments, to be across the street because I knew that I had a high chance of failure, particularly coming from the fashion industry and the stereotypes of being a model. But now I want people to listen to what I have to say every single day. And so you went all in. I went all in. Yeah. And now, fast forward 17 years, that, yeah. that dream has become a reality. Can I ask why ice cream, Tyra? It's, it's such a passion. Like, there's so much that I goes love back this to is a passion. It is. I'm obsessed. I'm, our family's obsessed, to be really? honest. It's a, it's a serious obsession. Um, and it started with my mother. So, my mother was a single mom, divorced from my dad when I was six. And we moved from a three bedroom, beautiful house in Inglewood, California, to a small one bedroom apartment. And my mom started sleeping on the floor in the living room. My brother and I slept in the bedroom. And on that first night when my mom tucked us in, she said, In one year, we're going to have a two bedroom. I'm not going to be sleeping on the floor or even on a couch in a year. And in one year, we had a two-bedroom. First night in that two-bedroom apartment, she said, in one year, we're going to have a three-bedroom. And she said, to get there is going to take a whole lot more work than it took me to get this Mm two-bedroom. So she would come home after work, put some pot pies in the oven for my brother and I, (laughs) and go back to her second job Mm -hmm. and her third job. And in one year, we had a three-bedroom. Then she said, after years and years, We're going to go from a three-bedroom rental, and I'm going to buy a house. We never got there because I became a successful model and bought a house for my family instead. But, um, but yeah, that was her dream. And I know it would have happened if I wasn't some model. I know my mom would have bought. How important was it to you to see? Not that you've got any point of comparison, because my goodness, how lucky you to have that as a role model. But how important was it to see your mum? out working for you, achieving for you and showing you? Yes. You know, I how she went about it was so beautiful because she explained it to my brother and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why ice cream is so important to me is every Friday night was the time when she was like, this is the week where I can now spend time with you, this weekday that I can spend time with you. So she would talk to me about her week. She would talk about the trials, the tribulations, the challenges, her dreams. Then she would talk about my dreams. She would talk about haters, naysayers, obstacles, and things that get in the way. And she would kind of challenge me in the car. So if they say this, what you going to do? If they say this, what you going to do? And this went for years. This even went from when I started modeling when I was in high school, you know, about naysayers and challenges and or being a black model and not being able to get the, you know, the opportunities that other models were getting. So and it was always over ice cream Friday night. So biggest cheerleader. Yes. I think we often forget that and so much has been made of this, you know, food is fuel, you know, we need to take the emotion away from it. But we often forget that food is this meeting point for yes. celebration and communication. Yes. Um, and, you know, whether that's kind of cross culture or cross generation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it has got that celebratory feel. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Great to have you with us this Tuesday afternoon in conversation with supermodel, entrepreneur, mother, the legendary Tyra Banks. She's here in Dubai right now launching her new Smize and Dream ice creams, a brunch and cake. So Tyra, make us hungry. What flavours have you created? One flavour that is very good. It's like a grandma home style churn taste. It's called Not Chocolate. Is Which there chocolate is, in it? Please tell me the chocolate. Not chocolate means what? I don't know. Vanilla! You. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have a flavor called butter pecan, but better. Because whenever people think butter pecan, at least in the United States, they think like grandmama flavor. But this, and, but this is like, it has something called caramel butter in it Ooh, and yum. roast pecans. Woo, it's my favorite. Then we have something called purple cookie monster in me. It's naturally colored cookies and cream. Ooh. A naturally colored purple cookies and cream uh, colored with black carrot, which gives a very na- natural So you're saying it's healthy. Uh, <laughs> it's natural, girl. 
And, you know, to me, ice cream is it's all about moderation. Our family does not consume it in moderation. I'll be totally honest. We eat ice cream almost every day. Passion, benchmarking, traveling the world, trying different ice cream. It's career but, now. But, but, you know, we also Gotta have like a non-dairy version, you know. Uh, I heard you've got an ice cream scientist. Yes, we have an ice cream scientist. Her name is uh, Dr. Maya Warren. And what a job. What a job. Right? She has a doctorate in food science with a focus on ice cream. Terry, what I'm getting from this is, and I don't mean this to disrespect any celebrities or names, but there does seem to be a bit of a movement. We've seen it with perfumes and restaurants and all sorts of different kind of products of about it just being a name, mm-hmm. about someone attaching the name to a scent or a place. And people will come and they'll <laughs> have a talk and they'll, you know. You sound like you are so in this and hands-on. I mean, mm-hmm. you've, you've got the history there, 17 years of, of wanting to do this. Has this kind of consumed your life? And, and how busy it is it keeping you? It consumes my life. I, um, I, I try to not call myself the CEO of the company because I want to leave that, that spot open mm-hmm. to, to get a very strong CEO from a consumer packaged goods company. Hint, hint, anybody out there in Hello, UAE Dubai. that want to do it? Um, but, but my partner always says, Tyra, you are the CEO. And, you know, wear that proudly. But the, the marketing side of me says, oh, I still leave that open over there. But from strategy to marketing um, to, to, I don't know. Every, I don't even know. I'm so jet lag. I don't even know what no, to say. But, but, but every single branding to global markets, I am at the forefront of that. And sometimes when people say hands on, to me, it means like you're standing over here and your hands are touching it and over here. No, my body's in it. Every single day. And um, I get, I'm so excited by it. It doesn't make me tired. Hey, isn't that the thing? You know, do yeah. something you love, don't I work a day it. in your life. I love it. Can I ask why Dubai? Oh my gosh. So, well, first of all, we have some family, like some in, in um, the GCC that I we kind of that. like, you know, visit and stuff. Yeah. So they're very kind. They've, they've spoke, I mean, they've lived at our house last summer during COVID. Um, so we have like a connection here, but I didn't have a business connection. Um, our CFO and my partner has a history in the airline industry, and he has done a lot of business with different airlines um, and some of the UAE. And he was like some of his best um, um, some of his best customers were um, you know Arabic I'm airlines. I want first class Emirates. You get your, you get your smiles and dreams. Yeah, so we have we have our ice cream on some airlines right now. Awesome. Um, our first one was in the GCC, so that really has kind of solidified us here. Um, and then I just love it here. My family has been here. My mom, my son, my man. We spent like a month between Abu Dhabi and and, and Dubai, and we love it. And for my mama, who doesn't want to go nowhere, she's like, I can spend a little time here. Uh-huh. You know, so we're it, looking at apartments and stuff to spend some more time here to really focus this as our first international location. And also, something that I keep seeing that I don't think people really know back home in the United States is um, – how many women are like doing their thing? Oh yeah. So and it's a I, hot but, spot. But we don't see that at home and don't see that reflection of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first um, meeting I had at Abu Dhabi Investment Office. I walked in the room and I was like, "This is like ten women, and you guys are all executives." Yesterday I did MBC, and they peeked open the door for me to look at the um, the control room. You know, the director and all the people, all women. Yes. I was like, "What's going on? What's going on?" <laughs> Makes me you so know, happy that that's been your experience. Yeah, it's my experience. But you know, but even though you see those women, there still needs to be more. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of my mission, and that's part of the mission for Smize and Dream is make 
people's dreams come true, particularly women, children, um, and particularly for people that feel like they're too young or too old to do something. I want to show them that that's not the case. That's they really have focus. interesting because on the show today, we are talking about midlife changes. Oh. Oh. And it has been kind of proven that you've got more chance of being happier for longer if you have a bit of a career change or a pivot in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm. And I think this is so interesting because we're living a lot longer now. Yes, It's not the case where, I don't know, if looking at a different industry, say you go to university to be an accountant and then you're an accountant from your 20 until you're 60 mm-hmm. and then you die. Mm-hmm. No. You are like, you know, you... There's so many more opportunities now. Yes. We've got a different mentality when it comes to career. So, you know, why not move to a different country? Why mm-hmm. not retrain? Why not start an ice cream business? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to see people doing that. And I'm so glad that you've had that experience of the UAE so far about seeing women as, oh my goodness, thought leaders, change makers, yeah. disruptors. Totally. And we also have a sweet tooth here. Big time. Oh, well, get your butts of smiles and dreams. Yeah, well, brunch and cake is very yes. close to my house. It's the most beautiful. <laughs> Which one is close I'll to your was- house? I'll wassail. Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's gorgeous. I yeah. had my birthday breakfast there. It's Instagram oh. perfection. Yes. Um, I want to go quickly go back because I understand there's a bit of a digging element to this. Yes. Tell us more. And why is this connecting yes. with your kind of philosophy for the brand and equally for yes. life as well? So... For me, I, I teach um, personal branding at Stanford's Business School in, in Northern California. I haven't done it in a couple of years because of COVID. But um, one of the, the first things I teach my students is different is better than better. And so whether it's a product, it's a service, or your personal brand, whatever it is, you know, look to your consumers. I'm sorry, your competitors. Mm-hmm. And what are they doing? And try to do something different, not just better. And so for me, when I created this ice cream company, yes, it's super premium ice cream. It's a good quality milk, all of that. But the differentiator is that in every serving, there's something we call a smize prize, which is a chunkalicious gourmet truffle chunk that um, that is a cookie dough base that you have to dig to find. And so it represents digging for your dreams. I love this. Yeah. And so, yeah, so when you come to the shops, all the different um, brunch and cake shops, and you get your um, Smize Cream ice cream, it starts with your Smize price. So you choose that first. There's five different flavors. And one Do you have a favorite? Uh, my favorite is that caramel one, a caramel cookie dough. But guess what? The kids, I think, are going to love a bubble gum. We have a bubble gum cookie dough smize prize. <laughs> it, I can tell just from looking at you and hearing you talk about this. This is not the end. Dubai is not, you know... The end of the road. Are you looking at, I mean, I don't want to say global domination, but yeah, global domination, um, Tyra uh, Banks. Uh, global saturation. Let's put that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we're looking at, I mean, we are already are producing in, in, in different countries. We are, yeah, there's some Asia happening. There's some down under going on. There's some. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is, 17 years ago, social media, not a thing. Yeah. Now we're an opportunity where entrepreneurs, whether it's someone who, has a name, doesn't have a name, has budget, doesn't have a budget, can launch their platform, exactly. connect with people online. How, how are you finding social for you personally and also professionally? You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. <laughs> I think there's so much pressure to keep posting and to keep posting. If you don't post enough, then the engagement on your thing is not going to go. You know, and then also being a woman and... Um, you know, they'll say, Tyra, we need you to do a video for X. And I'm like, I can't just roll out the bed. I got to put on my hair. I got to put on my face. I got to, you know, do that whole thing. There's just so much pressure. Mm-hmm. And I look at, at young people, particularly young women today on social and how much pressure they have. Because I remember back in my day being a fashion model and them saying that fashion models projected an image that was so difficult to live up to, which was true. 
but you can put the magazine down and put oh, it in a drawer. Right. Now, now you it's in your hands. It's in your hands, and it's not some fashion model that who the hell is Yuvenka or Tyra Banks. You know, this is your next-door neighbor. Mm-hmm. This is the girl in your school that's getting more likes or this. Oh, it, there's, there's just so much pressure mm-hmm. at the same time. On the positive side, you know, social is, is a positive thing. It's democratizing. Yeah, Everybody has, yeah, opportunity to, to, to expand their reach and to, or to correct wrongs that are said about them or, you know, to build their businesses. So there's, there's, a, there's a love-hate that I have there. I love that you represent yourself, though, so well in terms of here I am looking like you're looking today. Um, but also here I am. Oh, I do show the raw sometimes. And you saw, yeah. Exactly. Yes. And I think that's important for everybody. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about business struggles, you know, business building and showing that honesty. Because, mm-hmm. you know, from talking about your mum being, you know, that support from day one to, to today as a grandmother. Yes. To your own dreams. I think it's it's incredible. Last Thank question, you. Tyra Banks. Yes. For any aspiring entrepreneurs out there. And as you say, whether you are in high school, fresh out of high school, a grad mm-hmm. or someone in their 40s, 50s. What do you think you need to live by in order to to make your dreams come true? I think for the entrepreneurs out there, I'm going to give you super rough, raw, real advice. There's a 90% chance that your idea, business, service will fail. And that is okay. Because when it fails, it means that you have so much knowledge for what not to do or what to do for the next amazing idea that you have. And if you're trying to raise money, oftentimes people that want to give you money want to see what experience have you had, whether it's a win or a loss. They'd Mm -hmm. rather that than nothing because it shows, okay, you lost on somebody else's dime. You're not going to lose on mine because you've learned. So if if the business goes under, it's not the end of the world because you're an entrepreneur, which means you're full of ideas. And it just teaches you how to succeed better next time. Yes. Tyra Banks, thank you so much. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. We've got Smize and Dream in Dubai as of this weekend in Brunch and Cake, bringing a, a sweet taste. And I'm definitely going to try some Yes, there's right four locations now. of Brunch and Cake, so now go to the go ones close to there. you. Go out there. enjoy <laughs> yourselves. But it's a pleasure to have you with us. And yeah, thank next, you. next up the world. Thank you. Thank you. We are calling all creatives, all young creatives, should I say, because your movie making skills could be winning you a scholarship. We're joined now by Jackie Ellenby from Global Village and John Bell, principal of Bloom World Academy. Now, this scholarship could be worth up to a million dirhams. We're marking January as the International Month of Creativity and you might need to hand over your phones for your kids to make a film. Jackie, I'm so interested by this because this is my kids age group. And I love the sound of the scholarship. We're going to hear from John just a couple of minutes about what that's all about. So tell us a little bit about this competition, which launches today. It does. And as you know, uh, Global Village is um, loves creativity and it's uh, really a pillar, a cornerstone of what we do at Global Village. So uh, celebrating the International Month of Creativity was really important for us. And we couldn't be more excited to be able to do that with uh, Bloom World Academy. And we got together and we decided that it would be incredible to ask young people across uh, Dubai to create a video about how they would make the world more wonderful, either by taking a video or creating a story about somebody who inspires them and who would inspire other people, or talking about what they would do to make the world a better place, um, or what they are already doing to make the world a more wonderful place. I love this. So we're talking... 
big ideas for 50 years in the future or some a a small change that they're doing at home or in school that might inspire other people. The theme is My More Wonderful World. Now, John, this is open for children aged between uh, 5 to 14. Short film, um, two to four minutes. So we're not asking for not asking for an epic. But I wondered, because, you know, Bloom World Academy is really known for, as you guys say, daring to do things differently. Um, I wondered, why did you choose to be involved in this? And tell us more about this scholarship prize. Certainly. Um, well, first and foremost, yeah, um, it was a nice opportunity to do something which is generally international and mix in our relationship with um, Global Village was really important, international and icon of Dubai. Bringing that together with the international community, it represents. And I think the international community, we've got in our school 56 nationalities of children. Wow. That was a, that was a nat- natural synergy. Um, but Bloom World Academy, our big thing is doing things differently, not just for the sake of it, but we believe it's going to be different. Doing things differently for children makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And so there was a natural moment where we said, OK, and I've come across so many young people, and I think a few of us have now, that have got big ideas that want to change the world. And we need to see that in action now. We need to give them a real opportunity to one of our, one of our big constructs at Bloom World Academy is to make sure um, children are able to do things at the right stage of their life, not, not waiting until they're too old um, or have to be old enough. And we saw this as an opportunity for children to put their creative ideas out there through a video, through technology, through innovation, um, on a big stage. I'm sure Jackie will talk about that a little They've bit got a moment. few big stages at Global Village. few big <laughs> stages. And then we can make a genuine academic, educational decision with the families to say, actually, would a scholarship over time really support your learning and give an opportunity to a young person who may not have that opportunity mm. to grow and put their ideas into action with support with the teachers that will really help them. So it was a natural, a really natural moment that we got together and created this between us. One thing I think we need to make really clear is when we say a scholarship, we're not saying the winner's going to get a year of education. We're talking about all the way through. All the way through. So it potentially... Because there's two categories. You can be, you know, aged 5 to 10. That's kind of the juniors and then 11 to 14. So potentially a five-year-old could win and that could be their education taken care of all the way through school. Indeed. And that's the whole concept behind this is this is a long-term relationship with a family, with a child to ultimately um, bring some of their ideas into action as they grow. Obviously, if it's an older student, fine, that's less time. But, we, you know, we can work fast. But uh, with an older student, sorry, with a younger student at Bloom World Academy, yeah, they'll grow with the school. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this. We're growing. They're growing. We'll do it together. And in partnership with, you know, we are, and I, I've thought about this a lot, my friend, you know, colleagues have about who do we genuinely make connection with. And, and with, it seems to me, with Global Village and the creativity and innovation that's going um, is available now, but is you know is a as you say a hallmark of uh, of um, global village. I think the two commitment to a young person over a long time is a really important offer that we're making. So, Jackie, it's open today, so people need to be getting swinging into action. What do they need to do exactly? Can you kind of walk us through? We've got parents listening today, you know, kids in the car going. Yeah, I love making films. Yeah, I've got a great idea I want to share, or something that more people need to know about. What's next for them? So um, it's it's very simple. Kids are making films all the time these days. So they have to, you know, come up with their idea and their story and they can film it on their phone. They can film it on a, on a camera, whatever device works for them. Uh, and then they post it on YouTube as unpublished. And then they uh, fill in the submission form on the Global Village website and um, send it off. And then we start the whole judging process. And just for those 
children that are in the cars or the younger people that are in the cars, if you're not really interested in the whole scholarship thing, because that's really for the parents, um, just know that there's also a smartphone in it for you. Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) See, we go. We're incentivizing you to share those amazing ideas. Um, Now, I'm lucky enough to be part of the judging panel, and I'm really, really interested to see what's going to be coming in. What are you looking for, Jackie? Um, I think we want to see, you know, we, we talked about this quite a lot with, with John and his team. Um, what we want to see is storytelling um, so that it's a film that's interesting for other people to see because the idea is it also inspires others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see um, what the, the, the young director, as we're calling them actually, the young director uh, feels is important and what they feel that they can do to make the world a more wonderful place. Um, so it's really getting those ideas across. Um, it's it's not about, you know, it being the most technically perfect film. It's about the idea and the storytelling. The heart and the creativity. Exactly. And we're actually holding um, some uh, workshops that we'll be announcing later uh, with some of the judging panel and some other people to uh, basically help the kids understand how to create better stories. So we'll be announcing those as uh, as we go through the month. Lots to uh, lots to get excited about here from, yes, the prize to a lot of people wanting to already get involved. So can you tell us how best to register your interest, but also find out a little bit more, Jackie, because it has just gone live today. Um, the best place to go is to the Global Village website. Um, there is a section called Wonders of the Week um, and you can find it in there or um, I'm sure that we can convince you Helen to put on your site the yeah, of course long URL with anyone, I'm going to make it even easier for you if you're interested in your child winning a scholarship worth up to a million dirhams prepare for my text in line to be going absolutely bananas send me a message on 4001 you can do it on the WhatsApp on the air and play and just say film and I will send you the link for Global Village specific the landing site I'm a question here saying when's the deadline good question when 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 can how long have people got to be creative Till the 1st of February. Okay, right, guys, you are... The pressure's on. Um, Now, as as we said, it's going to be uploaded to YouTube, unpublished. Um, The theme is My More Wonderful World. So a really lovely opportunity to be thinking about how we can make the world a better place, whether that is close to home or further afield, right here, right now, or years down the line. Um, John Friendly wants to get in touch with you guys at Bloom and find out how you are doing things differently from you know starting times to curriculum and, and so much more. What's the best way of reaching out to you? Well, indeed. I mean, thank you very much. Um, call us directly or our website will cover it. I mean, this theme of first, best or different, which drives Bloom World Academy, is all about the opportunity for children to do things differently. And what we want to do now and hopefully through this, we will see how this generation of young people, and some, they are wonderful, and they're already wonderful, in my opinion, many of them, how they can genuinely, can physically, and we can support them, make a difference. And that's the underpinning thing. Yeah, please, you're most welcome to come and see what we do. You're most welcome to visit, of course. We'll give you plenty of time and opportunity to see our school. I think what this really speaks to me, to, to both of you here, is letting young people have a platform and be heard. And I think that's so, so valuable. We've got an awful lot to learn. I think that all the generations, we've been humbled by some of the creativity coming out of kids. And now we're going to see that on a grand scale. So is there going to be, I don't know, Jackie, I'm hopefully going to get the winner on or winners on. Is there going to be a kind of a launch of an event, a big reveal, a screening even? What are you, what are you planning at Global Village? Yes, we are. We will announce the date later, but um, in uh 
probably early March, there will be an event um, where we're going to be screening all of the finalists. Um, and we'll be announcing the winners that have been chosen by our very prestigious judging panel. Apart from that Helen Farmer woman. <laughs> I don't know how she snuck onto the judging panel. No, I'm really, really excited to see this. I have to say, really am. Already so many of you getting in touch saying the word film on 4001. So I will send you that link right here, right now. If you've got a young person, a child in your life aged between five up to 14 and you fancy having their scholarship at Bloom World Academy all the way through their education, you think they've got something to say. Kids, we'd love to hear from you as well. Just send me a message 4001. I will send that link and I cannot wait to see what you've got up to. John Bell, Shelley Ackenby, thank you so, so much. Jackie joining us from Global Village. John Bell from uh, Bloom World Academy talking today about an initiative that's starting just today, the Young Directors Award. And if you want details of that, just send the world, world, word, film my way. Normalise finding love in your 40s, discovering and chasing new dreams in your 30s, finding purpose and your purpose in your 50s. Life doesn't end at 25. Let's stop pretending that it does. Are you nodding along? Are you in midlife and need a bit of help? That's what we're talking about this afternoon. What does midlife mean? We're hearing from people who have changed their lives and more, plus a helping hand if you need some. Claire and James Davis help midlifers, what they in their words, reclaim control of their body, their mind and their life and they're here to help us this afternoon. We'd love to hear from you. Have you had a big career pivot or are you looking to change direction? Get in touch. They're joining us from the UK. So lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for your time in advance. And I can tell you now, it's going to be a busy hour because we've had lots of questions. A lot of people feeling, I don't know if it's a January thing. I don't know if it's a midlife thing, but needing a bit of direction. Claire, I'd love to start with you. What counts <laughs> as midlife these days? Who, who is a midlifer in, in your definition? I, th- I would say hello. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I would say a midlifer is probably I would say around thirty-eight to I would say even to about sixty-five. We definitely help people in that age range. So yeah, that's what I would say we would define as midlife. The Generation Xers. Yeah, I heard this the term zennials today, which is me. People born between nineteen seventy-seven and nineteen eighty-three, and I was like, that's me. That is me. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm curious. You know, wh- wh- how do you think? the reality and the perception of midlife has perhaps changed in recent years. What, what, it feels like, you know, 40 when I was growing up felt really old and now 40 feels like a brand new chapter. How do you feel like that shifted, Claire? I think it's shifted because, you know, we, we had the whole really funny thing that we used to talk about in the midlife crisis, right? Mm. And it was actually a bit of a scathing comment to have this midlife crisis but actually now I feel like it's been really repositioned as like a midlife awakening and a midlife transition and I think there are so talking about the menopause and the perimenopause and there are lots of prominent women out there as well now coming out talking about this time of their life with regards to their hormones and menopause and perimenopause that actually you can see they are they're moving through it they're talking about it and they're actually living their best lives Mm -hmm. and there are you know, we're, we're seeing more people think, hang on a minute, this isn't just looking down the barrel of a gun at the second act of my life. Actually, this is a really exciting time, or it can be. Well, I was in conversation earlier with Tyra Banks, who is 48, and she was talking about exactly this, you know, finding a new passion in her life. And 
my kind of point to her was that we're living an awful lot longer now. We're living longer, healthier lives. So why not start a new chapter in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? James, I'm, I'm curious to get your take then. I did put midlife into Google earlier. And the first thing that comes up is crisis. And it does tend to be men that this midlife crisis uh, is attached to. Um, do you feel like that is still a thing? Are you getting men coming to you saying, I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm eyeing up the red portion, maybe a younger model of something else? Um, I think it's still definitely a thing. But I think the way it's manifesting is, is changing, right? So if we go, was that? stereotype of the guy goes and gets the open top sports car and the 20 year old model girlfriend um i think nowadays people are just kind of more open to questioning men are kind of questioning like what have i achieved and and has it really fulfilled me and what do i want to get from the next chapter of my life so they could be really happy in their relationship it's often things like you know at midlife we've worked hard to get to summit of our career but then realize maybe that wasn't the goal we were going for all along Mm -hmm. Um, and it could be time to pivot and do something else so I think midlife's a really interesting time. It is a kind of natural staging post for our for our development, right? Where I think when we're younger, we look ahead to where we think, oh, yeah, by the time we're in our 50s, well, everything will be sorted. We'll be on top of our career, our finances, you know, have the dream house, all the rest of it. In fact, that phase of life can come with a lot of stress, right? We're often still juggling um, you know, aging parents, um, kids going off to college or to work, our own careers, our own finances, our relationships. Uh, and we can kind of get stuck there looking at it going, well, this isn't what I expected, mm-hmm. but what do I want to get from this? Absolutely. We've had a lot of questions on exactly this, some to do with relationships, as, as you mentioned there, some to do with career. We've also had some brilliant messages from people who have made some big changes. Um, and Claire, I'm just, I'd like to get a bit of a read on what we can help people with over the next half hour or so. What are some of the common concerns or crisis points, for want of a better phrase, that you're having clients coming to, just to normalise some, some of the questions that we're getting in on the text line? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the common things for a lot of men and women reaching this time of their life is that they might have lost that sense of self-identity. Mm-hmm. I think, like James kind of alluded to there, it's it's they've created this whole life around themselves and this whole, actually, a personality construct. But they're actually wondering whether that's the way, the trajectory they want the rest of their life to move forward in. And if it's not, that can make people feel very, very lost and overwhelmed. So it's kind of about helping people know where to start from that sense. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's also with regards to their health. You know, they might not have put themselves at the top of the priority list. So their health has actually really deteriorated. And their body, because of all the hormonal changes that are happening as well, their body just isn't playing ball anymore. Mm-hmm. So all of this, it feels like a constant battle with their body. And then obviously that affects how we feel about ourselves. It affects our, our confidence. It affects our intimacy. It affects our relationships. Even like how we're showing up for our children and how we're showing up at work. So there's a multitude of challenges, but I would say that they just feel very, very lost, not just in their body, Mm -hmm. but in their kind of mind and their life as well. Well, we're here to help this afternoon. I say we, I don't mean me. I mean, joining us on the line are the Midlife Mentors. We've got Claire and James Davis live on the line. If you've got any questions, any concerns, you want to share your story, get in touch. As I said, you can be anonymous if you prefer, or you can give us a call. This is Heidi Jones. I turned 40 in October. And in December, my daughter was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And I've created a new career path in real estate for the past three months to support the cost of lifelong support and therapies for her. 
I've been running my own successful coaching business for nine years in Dubai. And to keep this passion, I knew I needed to focus on a revenue stream outside of that. Heidi, speaking to us from Black Brick Property... This hour, we are joined by the midlife mentors. Claire and James Davis help midlifers control their life, their body, their mind, help you look at your life in a whole new way, an exciting new chapter in your 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. And we're hearing from some of you as well, how you've so often turned things around or perhaps you need some help. Um, this is Sophie sharing what she's been through in the last year. Hi, I'm Sophie Thomas. I've been a corporate management consultant for 20 years. Um, It's what I've always wanted to do pretty much since I was 17. I absolutely loved my job. I was working with all the major oil and gas producers in the region. And then I went internal when I had my children to lead my company's strategy, IT and HR teams. I was extremely successful. I loved what I was doing, though I was working incredibly long hours, normally a 16 to 18 hour day to try and keep all the balls in the air. I was literally living the meme of juggle is real. And I kept on taking new roles and kind of changing what I did and trying to replicate that success um, until I took on a role that, an internal role that I wasn't sure about and I wasn't a great fit for, but felt pressured to do by my boss. Um, After a year in the role, I realized that the enjoyment had gone out of what I was doing. um, And what I was doing was starting to majorly diverge from my personal values, which, you know, are enjoyment, impact, self-development. I was a shadow of myself at home with a husband, my kids, I barely saw my friends. Looking after myself was at the bottom of my to-do list. Um, So I decided to step away. It was a huge choice and reflect on what I really wanted. The way I looked at it, I have 20 more years um, ahead of me to work. And it was important to me that those 20 years were going to be a better reflection of redefining living my version of success rather than somebody else's society's a corporate one. Um, So I took six months to, I decided to leave. I took six months to chill out, recover, take my first real holiday in two decades, no calls, no emails, no texts. Um, I reconnected with my kids and friends, and I also did a lot of work to look at what brought me joy in my previous roles to kind of inventory my strengths and my skills and looked at how I could use these to shape a new career that was more meaningful to me. Uh, I fully expected to redraft my CV and throw myself back into the corporate world, perhaps in a new industry. Um, But it became really clear to me that I get much more energy from helping others out with their passion projects, Um, particularly friends who'd gone solo and were following their dreams. And I'd done some, you know, what I call pro bono work with them. Um, So I used that and decided to set up my own business consultancy. So bringing my corporate skills and frameworks to startups and individuals that I think are going to have a genuine positive impact in their communities or on society more generally. Um, It's been terrifying leaving the corporate safety net and putting myself out there. Um, I've never done marketing. I've never done my own BD. Um, I'm having to stand by my content and my experience and little old me. um, And that is so far away from my personality type, but I've taken the leap. I feel way more energized. I feel really fulfilled. I feel like I have a lot better balance in my life. Um, I'm really happy. I'm definitely living my values. Um, I'm having an impact. I'm enjoying myself. I'm seeing my family and friends, my kids, you know, they much like, much prefer this version of me. Um, I think I am a much better role model to them now that I prioritize my own happiness and my vision of success than the one that I thought I was giving them of being corporately successful, senior, well-paid, um, It's been a big adjustment, but 
I wouldn't change it for the world now. Sophie Thomas there talking about her departure from that corporate life to, in her words, living by her own values, taking what sounds like a much needed break in her 40s. And I could see Claire there nodding along with a big grin on your face. What's it like to hear people having that kind of revelation? Um, It makes me really emotional, to be honest, because I know what that feels like. I mean, I obviously, I did do my transition in my 40s. I actually did my transition from... PR and marketing and the glamour of all of that in my early 30s and it, it was terrifying and I and I just think it's so in, incredibly incredibly brave for people to take that risk because so so many people don't mm-hmm. and then you know you're going into an abyss of the unknown and what comes out of that is so much more self-love and self-respect and like that lady was saying so I've forgotten her name but like the lady was saying it's not about we, we kind of think that it's all about the status and mm-hmm. the money and all of that sort of thing. But actually, it's about our values, our happiness, our relationships with our children. They're the most important things. And we so, so often lose touch of that in the corporate world. Absolutely. I wanted you to share, James, if you don't mind, what you talk about being the six pillars to midlife health and happiness because we're going to be going to the text line soon and helping out some people who are, if not lost, then feeling a bit stuck. So if you could outline outline those six for us, maybe we can get people's kind of cogs turning a little bit. What are they? Yeah, absolutely. When we looked at this, obviously um, our backgrounds originally were psychology and coaching. And then we moved into the physical side with personal training, running fitness retreats for many years. What we saw is a lot of approaches out there were focusing on what we call the external. So, you know, people are feeling like low on energy or not liking how they, they look or got excess pounds they want to lose. They'll, they'll do the diet, do the exercise program, and it works for a bit, but then they ping back. So we, we stripped it back and went back to our roots. Uh, and the first pillar is actually the foundation pillar, which is like building a success mindset. Because when we're younger, we play to win. But as we get older, we become more risk averse and play not to lose. And also become more pessimistic in our thinking. Generally, it's a well-observed phenomenon. So we want to um, re-engage people to start believing in their own ability to do things and and question their beliefs. Because here's the thing, a lot of our beliefs we inherit from others, um, normally our our primary caregivers, our parents. We have the right to question those beliefs and see whether they fit us or not. So success mindset is the foundation for it all. Looking at our limiting beliefs and changing those, stepping into the person we want to become for this next chapter. But because we're interconnected beings and everything interplays each other, you know, we can't just do that mental work, that psychological work. So we have to do the movement part. So that's exercising in specific ways for the midlife body, you know, making sure we're doing resistance training, make sure we're getting ad- adequate recovery. Um, it's about getting our nutrition right. So, you know, not doing diets that are going to you know, wreck our metabolism even more, that are going to damage our hormone health, you know, sustainable, sensible nutrition. It's about building emotional resilience. So that's about going into the world, like shifting from an obstacle to an opportunity mindset and having a, grat- you know, a feeling of gratitude. Uh, and then we have accountability, which is the one a lot of people are missing when they try and start this journey on their own. It can be really hard to keep going through the steps. So, so accountability is the other one. Have I done five or six? Yeah, hormones. Oh, sorry, the last one. <laughs> of course, hormones and metabolism. So, at midlife, we have like this cocktail of hormones changing. Obviously, for, for ladies, it's you know, the menopause going on, and the primary hormones, estrogen, progesterone, for men, testosterone. But we have a whole portfolio of other hormones and neurotransmitters that are changing as well and affecting us not just physically, but actually affecting our psychology and our cognition as well. Mm-hmm. So understanding how those parts fit together, we can start to work with them all. And it's about making small changes in multiple areas to actually yield massive change 
rather than that like sometimes overwhelming thing of like I need to make huge wholesale changes in an area of my life which does tend to be the case in January it's like I'm going to be a whole new me it's like could we not just be five percent better than we were a week ago would, would that would that be okay Joining us live from the UK, Claire and James Davis are the midlife mentors, helping people with all aspects of life from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, And really, as we said, for everything from health and hormones, movement, careers, mindset, relationships. It's a really interesting time. And as as you said, James, as well, about that kind of sense of identity. And we've had a lot of messages. Um, Would you mind if we did a bit of a quick fire clinic on the text line? Okay, great. Let's start with... This. This is from No Name saying, I'm in my mid 40s with my husband 20 years, got two kids. My husband goes cycling eight in the morning till one every Saturday. I don't begrudge it because he enjoys it so much. The kids are at an age where they have clubs and social life all weekends. Me, I work full time, family stuff, children stuff, repeat. I feel bored unappreciated, stuck in a rut, frumpy housewife, not wife, even though chores and admin are split 50-50. But is this this as good as it gets? Any tips? So I guess, Claire, what this kind of leads me to ask is if a client was going to come to you, and I'm sure this is, I'm sure there's people nodding all over uh, Dubai listening to this. How do you start to help somebody who's feeling stuck in a rut, as this listener says? Um. Yeah, I just want to say that it is so, so common. This this lady is not alone at all. It's it's something that so many women and men even come to us, you know, with the same challenges. But I think the most important thing is is recognising how you feel, actually, and being vulnerable and honest and open enough with yourself to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling. The thing that I would say is it's actually quite alien, to, especially to a lot of women, to actually even put themselves first and think, what do I want? Like, who do I want to be? So that's That's the first thing I would actually say. uh, One of the most important things is if you're not already is to start putting your health first, because without your health, you have nothing. Your health is your wealth. So if you're actually not putting yourself first with regards to how you're eating, how you're moving, then it's going to be very, very difficult for the rest of your life to fall into place. So I know for me, that's how I got my power back after my second divorce. You know, I really that's when I started doing all the nutrition and the movement and the exercise. And that's how I actually started or wanted to share that with as many people as possible, because I got my self-respect and my power back through doing looking after my health. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. If you're not doing that, start prioritizing that. The second thing I would say is actually ask yourself some like really valuable questions. You know, what is it that I love to do and if you can't even remember that that's a really hard question you know we coach a lot of women specifically around this and they're like I don't know what I love I don't I can't remember so it's like okay what did you used to love before the world told you what to be before you started to think about professions um, and what everyone else wanted you to do so what did you used to love even when you were a child um, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's a huge question for for a lot of people. Like visualize, even close your eyes, the visualization of what would your ideal highest self look like? What's that vision look like? So it's actually just starting to open yourself up to possibility. Start getting your health under control if it's not already. Start prioritizing that for yourself because that will give you your power back and your sense of self and your self-identity, but also start exploring what you used to love to do. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to do anything massive. No. Just take up a little a little hobby or something, just something to, to feel like you're not as bored in your own life. 
I think that's really good advice. I actually read an article over the weekend and it was about a woman who was doing what I'm doing. I used to love singing when I was a child. And I think, yeah, as you're saying, you know, life gets in the way, work gets in the way, kids definitely get in the, get in the way. And we let hobbies and passions completely fall by the wayside. It's not often a conscious decision. It just happens. And our my daughter's school started a parent and teacher choir last term. And I was like, right, so every Tuesday now, seven o'clock in the morning, we have a little sing song. This morning we were doing Ain't No Mountain and Pompeii Bastille, you know. It was, and it gives me so much pleasure. It really, really does. But I think, I think those big questions, and it doesn't need to, to lead to massive change. We're not saying like walk out on your husband and your kids and move countries. It's not. It's about these little micro joys that can add up to a much healthier, certainly, and happier life. I want to come to health because we've got an anonymous message here on the text line saying, I'm in my late 30s and I can't get myself to be healthy. I always say to myself, I will start tomorrow. This is one last indulgence. This is such a good question for January. Right, let's lay it out uh, for anyone that needs a bit of a bit of a talking to, whether that is a bit of, you know, tough love or a, a kind word, James, what would you say about getting your health back on track? And um, I'd say, first of all, you're not alone. This is really common. But, it, you know, it is it is time for some tough love. Um, we call this self-sabotage. And the reason you're finding it hard to start is coming from it's coming from your mindset, coming from your beliefs. You, you actually don't believe that you're a person that can start this and keep it up. And we all get excited about something called motivation. But the thing is, like, motivation doesn't last. That thing that will get us going. So um, I'd say the first tip is, Connect with the emotional why for why you want this thing, because that'll be, you know, there'll be a deep reason why you want it. Maybe on the surface you say, oh, you know, I just want to drop some weight or get healthy. But if you dig deeper, it's like peeling an onion. Peel the layers back. Like, why do you want it? Is it because you're feeling like you might have health worries down the line or even now? Is that because you want to show up as a better partner, as a better mother? You just keep going until you find that emotional connection. That's what will get you started. Mm-hmm. What keeps you going is discipline. And this is a skill that you can learn. It's not a question of like you're disciplined or you're not disciplined. You can learn it. This is just about you know getting up and doing it anyway, even on the days you don't want to. I mean, even Claire and I, we have days where we'll just the alarm will go off and like, don't fancy it today. But we've trained ourselves to do it. Uh, and discipline will get you to so many places in life. And here's the interesting thing. You know, the earlier question Claire answered about working on your health. When you start taking action and applying discipline in one area of your life, it will spill over into others. And then then you get a cascade effect and everything starts coming along for you. So I'd say um, set a small goal. You know, don't don't if you if you're at zero now with your exercise, don't be like, oh, I'm going to get up and do a two hour workout every day. Just get, I'm, you know what? Tomorrow I commit to doing something for half an hour, you know, whether that's a walk or going to your local gym and just doing a class, but commit to it. Um, getting accountability really helps. Tell a friend you're going to go or even book into a class, maybe even one where there's a penalty if you don't show up and then just turn up. And here's the thing. Once we start, like starting in our head, starting is often harder than doing it. So it's like once we get started, then you want to continue and do the whole thing. And then it's just a question of like repeating that day after day. And your confidence goes up the, the more little things you tick off, right? I think that, and exactly. I think that's, a, that's so true. It's a massive misconception that January, you've got to be like beast mode five times a week. No, just... Do something. Um, I want to turn to career because we've had a number of messages and, and voice notes as well about people changing career in midlife. This is Zoe telling us about her unusual career beginnings. Uh, when I first left university, I was a cowgirl in America for a couple of years and then moved into graphic design for uh, media publications, lifestyle magazines for 18 years until um, when I was 42, I started my own um, 
exterior upholstery business for uh, hotels, restaurants and private homes. Pretty shady parasols. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> Cowgirl to upholstery. If you want to send in uh, your midlife change or challenge, this is really is your last chance, 4001. But I would like to talk career now because I've had a message from Delia and I think this is a really interesting time. It's that empty nest where we see big spikes in divorce, when it's the kids are gone, now what do we talk about? Um, but in Delia's case, she's single, um, but is feeling a bit what next. So Delia says, hi everyone, my son left for uni last year and the current child-friendly, safe but repetitive job doesn't make sense anymore. The house is too big. I've got an active social life, a dog and a hobby, but I feel like I want to shake things up. New career or even a country, no husband to worry about, but where do I start before I make a big commitment or a big mistake? Do you have any exercises, Claire, that you work with um, to help people identify the areas of their life that they might want to start addressing? Yeah, we, we do. We actually work um, with clients on this quite a lot because, again, it's something that comes up uh, with, with pretty much everyone that joins our courses. <laughs> but, you know, it's what we do is we take them through a, a process a little bit, like I said earlier on, which is not to... I think a lot of people get very, very stressed around this because they're feeling unhappy and lost and they don't know where to turn. And then they think they have to make these big, um, big changes. Like you said, it's these incremental changes. So they get kind of stuck in what's my passion? What's my purpose? Then it all becomes a little bit overwhelming. And then they just become inert and don't do anything. So I would say with this lady, I would say, you know, ask yourself, like, where have I, if it's a change of country, like where have you always had that sense of belonging. Is there a place that you've always had that sense of belonging? Go and visit it, perhaps. Don't necessarily go jumping in feet first. Go and visit it. If it's a career, again, what did you love to do when you were younger? What was it? And, and what do your friends say that you are really good at? What are your values? So we take people through lots of different exercises around values. What did they used to love? What do their friends actually say that they're really, really good at? And actually, then we take them through something which is the Japanese ikagi, <laughs> which is where your passions, where you can make money, um, what actually influences the world, the impact that you can make in the world. So we take people through a process. You can look it up online. It's called ikagi. But that would be a really, really great place to start because it starts freeing up your mind to possibility, but also stops you going in a direction of just following a passion project. If it can't make money, then it's not going to be a great mm -hmm. career choice. If it's just something that's a hobby, again, you're not going to necessarily make money out of it. So we take them through a process of that with regards to their career. But again, like this is what I would say is don't be afraid to dream big. Don't be afraid to take those small incremental risks. And you're always going to come up against resistance. Your subconscious mind is always going to say to you, oh, don't be stupid. You can't do that. That's for someone else. This is Remember when you did that and you failed, that was humiliating. We all have that inner critic. And being really aware of that, when we're starting to go into a new space, we've got to remind ourselves that our subconscious mind is always going to want to keep us safe mm -hmm. and the path of least resistance. So anything new that you start trying, the alarm bells are going to go off and your subconscious mind is going to tell you to pull back. We all have that. But what you need to realize is if someone else has done it, you can do it too. And every time you push through that resistance, it gets easier and easier. Um, you know, one thing we know in life is that nothing is certain. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing we can be certain about is that nothing is certain. So why not start making your own path? 
Love it. Great answer. And Delia, I will connect you with the Midlife Mentors offline. I'll send you their link. If, if anyone wants the details, by all means, send me a message on uh, 4001 with Midlife and I'll send you their Instagram website so you can get some mentoring. I'm definitely going to have them back on the show yet. They don't know this yet, but we're gonna, we, we will. I want to end with one last question. James, this is perhaps one for you because you mentioned it earlier about the sense of kind of midlife burnout. Imagine saying any advice, midlife burnout, a male 50, I need to keep earning for education costs, but I'm totally disinterested. And you mentioned earlier that this kind of age is quite a tricky one because, yeah, aging parents, perhaps kids you're still paying for and the prospect of perhaps working for another couple of decades. What, and we've only got a minute or so, but what quick advice would you give on this topic? Um, I'd say um, be be brutally honest with yourself and unwrap this a little bit. Is it that you're now like um, disinterested with the actual job role, in which case it could be as simple as changing role in the same organisation or perhaps something different, Mm -hmm. but also be aware it could be due to the hormonal changes. You know, lower testosterone levels could be impacting how you're feeling about life. Interesting, like the the glow can go out of life. You know, you can start to feel everything is a bit dull. You're not really interested in anything. So that could be something that's worth getting checked out with your doctor. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need the testosterone replacement therapy. There are lots of lifestyle things we can do to like boost our hormones and work in line with them. Um, so that would be my really quick one minute, like peel back the layers and see what's really going on, whether it's, it's a job thing or whether physiologically there's something there you need to address. Uh, and then like, follow the advice Claire gave, like look at what do you actually want to do? What are your values? Where are you aligned? What would light you up? Guys, thank you so, so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. As I said, I'd love to come back and talk a little bit more about hormones, about exercise for midlife, some of the little changes we can make to our health to live a long, happy life. It's not about living as long as possible. It's about living a long, healthy, happy, active life. We don't want to be 120 and miserable. Um, guys, for anyone that does want to get in touch with you, I'll let you give a quick, a quick link. And as I said, I'd be happy to send it on 4001. What's the best way of getting in touch, Claire? Um, you can find us on Instagram at, at Midlife Mentors or you can go to our website. It's um, themidlifementors.com. You've got a podcast as well. Really appreciate your time, guys. We'll have you back soon if, you, if you'll have us. But lots of people getting in touch. If we didn't get to your question, I'll put it aside for the guys next time. Claire and James Davis speaking to us from the UK. And as I said, if you want their details, get in touch with me on 4001. Just say Midlife and I'd be happy to share those details. I had promised myself and you this was going to be a royal free show. I am not talking about books or TV or anything like that. I'm sick and bored to the absolute back teeth of it, to be truthful. However, one topic that has really caught a lot of attention at the minute is sibling rivalry between a couple of royals. And even though siblings are some of the longest lasting relationships we have... Intense loyalty and intense conflict can go hand in hand and that hurt can run deep. Research published in a 2020 issue of the Journal of Family Psychology found that sibling conflict amongst adults in part was associated with symptoms of depression, anxiety, hostility, loneliness. So where do these feelings come from and is it ever too late to build a bridge? Dr Thraya, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, is here to guide us through this topic, unpack what we need to know and, of course, help you out with anything that you're going through when it comes to brothers and sisters, even as adults. Dr T, how are you? Well, Helen, how are you doing? I'm really well. Enjoyed my little booty. Enjoyed the dance, by the way. I was dancing myself. Thank you. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Um, I'm so grateful for your time this afternoon on this topic because, as I said, sibling relationships are 
often one of the longest relationships you know you could you can ever have you know um mm. so it's natural to expect rocky periods and that could be from you know teens toddlers and and later in life as well childhood scraps are normal um but as we move into adulthood i find this dynamic really really interesting we've already had a number of messages talking about relationships with siblings in later in life and when's it okay to walk away how to get back in touch so I'd love you, if you don't mind, to start by outlining your definition of understanding of adult sibling rivalry. Give us some examples of what it can look like as well, please. Well, you know, it's I, I would say it starts off in childhood where siblings um, are basically arguing, you know, they're not getting along or even at sometimes they could be fighting physically or verbally with each other. Now, how that develops into adult sibling rivalry is basically when that relationship has not been mended and it has not been given the opportunity to, to outgrow the natural kind of bickering and so on and so forth that happens between children. I'm concerned because at the minute, my daughters, who I admit are only five and seven, are kicking seven shades of you-know-what out of each other any given opportunity. They are telling tales on each other. They're in constant competition with each other for my attention. They don't seem to like each other very much. And I'm wondering, is this a bit of a foreshadowing to them not having a good relationship in a couple of decades' time? Not at all. So it's not so much whether or not they're having this kind of rivalrous behavior currently, but it's how that is handled at home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest and most significant factors when it comes to adult sibling rivalry, because what ends up happening is that sometimes parents get over-involved. They try to fix every single issue that happens between siblings don't know how to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes parents aren't aware. And so there's that neglect or they make excuses. Oh, kids will be kids. Um, we have to understand that it's important for parents to be involved, but to allow the children to resolve things themselves. And it's extremely important to make sure that as parents, you're not picking one side over another when it comes to children. And that tends to be what happens in, in, in arguments between children. The parents will usually take the side of the child who's right, mm -hmm. quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. I think the sibling relationship is such an interesting one because when you're a child, this is often a bit of a playground for trying out different feelings. You know, I mean, my goodness, me and my brother, you mentioned, you know, even being violent. We used to, my brother's got scars on the back of his hand from me. My mum told my kids a story over Christmas about us having a fight at the breakfast table where I slammed a bathroom door on his hand. Like we, I, I'm, I'm, I do not exaggerate when I say this. I hated him with like a visceral... I hated him. He knew exactly what to say to really cut me to the core. Um, but equally, he knew exactly what to say for me to absolutely laugh my head off. And that's probably quite true now. I'm sure he could just eviscerate me if he wanted to. But equally, he's one of my favourite people in the world. So we try out all of these feelings on our, on our siblings. You know, we kind of experiment with that. And as you say, so much of it is how that progresses then through to adulthood is how it's resolved either between you two or as parents. Um, we've got lots of questions on this. And um, I wanted to, before we go to the text line in just a couple of minutes, I wanted to ask about why does sibling rivalry then continue through into adulthood? And, and what are some of the common, I guess, kind of blow up points, the, the, the problem areas that sibling rivalry becomes very, very tricky in older years? Well, I'd say probably one of the first and most significant reasons why uh, childhood 
sibling rivalry develops and continues is because parents don't get involved or are getting involved in the in the wrong manner. Um, that's definitely something. But however, what also happens is that when kids are kind of pitted against each other when they're compared quite a bit mm -hmm. between parents that could really fuel that tendency for them to take that moving forward. And if there happens to be some form of neglect from the parents in terms of, oh, no, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. And so what ends up happening is that children, you know, naturally, we don't know how to resolve our difficulties. Sometimes we either let it go or we, we just go and play and then we forget about it. But Essentially, we need somebody to, to especially when when things become a little bit more violent in nature, as you had mentioned, right? And, or, and it doesn't necessarily have to be physical violence, mm -hmm. but even emotional violence. And so the parent's role in, in not allowing that rivalry to continue into adulthood is such an important factor that that's essentially how that continues. And as we move into adulthood, there are all sorts of other troublesome topics that can come up, whether that is aging parents and, you know, discussions around the care of them, you know, finances, wills, estates, my goodness, and many an ugly relationship can, uh, can form off the back of that. Jealousy, personality differences, you know, and, and, and so it goes on. psychology hour and we're talking sibling conflict this has been around for as long as humans have had siblings elizabeth I, mary the first noel and liam gallagher so the princes william and harry are just the latest high profile siblings to endure a shattered relationship harry calling william his beloved brother and arch nemesis but what about us mere mortals how can we have happy healthy relationships with our siblings even as adults and lots of questions and comments coming in on this dr thraya is on hand to help dr t there was a 2021 study that found that 20 percent of adult siblings still argue about which child is their parents favorite interestingly 25 percent of the respondents in the study felt that competition with a sibling was healthy two out of ten said this rivalry helped them achieve more in life because it fueled them to work harder what's your take on that I mean, it makes sense. I think uh, as we get older, some of us can still hold on and uh, harbor negative feelings to what happened to us as uh, as children. However, I think sometimes sibling rivalry can be helpful, um, but it just depends how how that rivalry plays out. Mm -hmm. I think once it turns into something like sibling violence or sibling abuse, then that can actually be very hurtful and very painful for us moving forward and can actually hinder us in, in advancing. Whereas, you know, uh, jealousy, kind of like wanting to be the favorite here and there, but in a, in a, in like a in like a funny manner, yeah. not so much where but, you're taking it personally and yes. kind of thinking of yourself as unworthy and unvalued. You know, that's, that's what we have. We always joked. Well, if, to be honest with you, we j joked for a long time when my brother was growing up that he was the donor child in case we needed any organs, <laughs> and then he became the golden child. And now we just joke about who is the golden child. We, we pass the baton between us, depending on who's keeping up with mum's many WhatsApps. Um, I wanted to go to this message that's come in on 4001, saying, is it ever okay to cut ties with a sibling if your relationship has become untenable? So m my basic answer to that would be yes. So I think, but, but again, I know that... Um, 
everything in psychology is quite dependent. It depends. And it, it depends. I know it's, it's, it's like every, every, uh, every like, you know, show's worst word, which is depends. But in reality, you know, we can, well, I think what I want to say essentially is that we don't get to choose our family members, right? Mm-hmm. We choose our, our friends. And the same way we have boundaries with our friends, we need to have boundaries with our family members. And it's not because we don't love them and we don't care for them. It's actually because we love them and care for them and want them in our life that we have to set these boundaries. However, if these boundaries are not respected, if they're not accepted, they're not, and it, you just feel a constant sense of drainage every single time that you're with them, either emotionally or physically, then And at one point, you have to say to yourself, um, do I really need them in my life in the way that they are currently? Now, mm-hmm. sometimes that means taking a massive step back and just seeing them on the holidays and being diplomatic. And sometimes it can actually mean cutting them completely out of your life. So it depends. But at the same time, I want to say that if boundaries are not respected and you feel a constant sense of um, uh, like emotional you know, that emotional vampireness mm-hmm. to the relationship where you're just sucked, your whole soul is sucked out of your body because of what's happening, then, then I would definitely say that it's, it's, it can be healthier to have the, the relationship end in that moment. Dr. Thera, I want to come, to come to R's message that's come through on the WhatsApp saying, interesting topic. I'm one of three girls and we fought a lot growing up. Fine in our 20s and 30s, too busy for drama maybe. And now in our 40s and 50s, it started again. Mostly, I feel taken advantage of. They've openly said in the past that we're well off because we live in Dubai. There's an expectation for us to pay for meals when we're in the UK, contribute more to parents' presence, etc. I'm over it. But I don't know how to talk about it as it often feels like two against one, like the Bad old days. Any ideas? Oh la la! I don't know. What would you advise? Are you Dr. Are T? you ready for the for the word that I say all the time? Mm-hmm. Go on. Boundaries. boundaries. Setting boundaries. So w- one of the things I would say is communication for the boundaries is key. So you can't just come in and set a boundary when no context is given. So it's important to kind of highlight that. Yes, you know, you live in Dubai, you probably make more money, but you also spend more money here. So Fuck. essentially, there's. You know, having that open conversation, discussing what is feasible for every single person, what can work, what doesn't work, and discussing your feelings openly. And if they're not okay with it, also recognizing that it's okay that they're not okay with it. So sometimes we struggle with boundaries because what we're looking for is I'm going to set my boundary and this other person has to be okay with me setting my boundary. But that's not a fair expectation. The reality is, is that when you set a boundary, most people are going to resist it or not like it. And that's okay because that's their right. Mm -hmm. That's their boundary that they're setting. So it's about navigating how we can find that middle ground where, okay, maybe not everybody's going to be happy, but at least there's a sense of consensus on what we're going to do moving forward. We are talking adult sibling rivalry. Where does it come from? What can it look like later in life? And is it ever too late to build a bridge? Clinical psychologist Dr. Thraya from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic is on hand. You know how to get in touch. And if you'd rather be anonymous, just leave your name off. Say no name. Make up a whole new identity. We really, really don't mind. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about kind of the effect it can have on you later in life because I feel like the, we've talked about kind of the romanticization of, of friendships in you know in media and social media and I think 
siblings falls into this as well. We, you know, I see so many gorgeous posts about, you know, these are my sisters and I couldn't live without them. And I've got a younger brother who I have a great relationship with, but I have a bit of a pang for that, perhaps. And I, I think when you haven't got that, it can either be a bit of a shame or it can be absolutely heartbreaking. We've had a number of messages asking about what, what you can do, I suppose, to Raya. Um, Paul just saying, re my older brother, our lives are very different. If he wasn't my brother, we wouldn't know each other. We've got nothing in common. I'm okay with it, but I'm, our mum, now in her 70s, would like, it to be, like us to be closer. And a message here that I want to get your take on, your advice. Please, no name. My parents constantly pitted me and my brother against each other. Academics, sports, popularity, looks. We didn't have a good relationship then and don't now. But I can't help but blame my mother in particular. I don't want to get to the end of my life and regret not having a relationship or even contact with him. But I don't know what I'd say if I was to get in touch or even if he would reply. If this listener was a, I know you haven't got a, a couch as such in your clinic, but if someone was to come in with this concern, this thought, Thuraya, what would you advise? Well, you know, it's very uncomfortable to have conversations after so many years, right? And I think sometimes displaying vulnerability could um, allow the person in front of you to also display the same type of vulnerability. So sending out a message and saying, listen, we didn't really have the best kind of um, childhood growing up and we were always pitted against each other and it kind of made us, uh, you know, distant and I'd really like to change that. So if you're willing to, let's sit down and have a chit chat. So essentially being that vulnerable, that exposed can be very beneficial um, blaming parents for for the way that they treated you. I mean, I, I see where that's coming from. The problem with blame is that essentially you're going to have to go back all the way to, you know, the first settlers of earth because essentially your parents learned that kind of behavior from their parents and their parents from their parents and so on and so forth. So they are responsible, but to blame is a, is a bit harsh. I mean, and that's one of the effects of sibling rivalry if it's not really handled properly is that if you have sibling rivalry with, with one of your siblings, that what ends up happening is when you have children and you happen to see any kind of trait that reminds you of your sibling, then you end up pitting your children against each other or tend to favor one child that's not like that versus the other. And then mm -hmm. you, you continue that cycle as well. So um, that self-awareness can be very important for yourself, but also recognition that, you know, our, our parents are very much responsible for the way that they raised us, but they're not to blame for the way that they raised us because most probably this is transgenerational trauma that's happened. However, if you do want to have a different relationship with your, with your sibling, reach out, communicate, be open, be vulnerable. Worst case scenario, they don't respond or they don't uh, reply favorably. At least you're going to feel a sense of I tried mm -hmm. and this is the best that I can do at this moment. Thanks, Soraya. Um, a message here saying, I live with my parents and my adult siblings, except my brother who's moved out with his spouse. It annoys me no end when he comes over for lunch or dinner and overstays, primarily because of how my parents behave when he's around as opposed to how uh, when he's not. My parents would continue to talk about him long after he leaves. I don't enjoy the company and maybe also hold a slight resentment because he had it way more easy than the rest of us and might be the favourite. Thoughts? Is this healthy? And then the monkey emoji with his hands over his eyes. <laughs> it's a good emoji, that one. <laughs> it is. Um, 
what I would say is that it's obviously for you to bring it up, it means that it's something that's bothering you. And anything that's bothering you that you're avoiding is not a healthy way of handling um, something in your life. So if this is something that you think needs to be brought up with your parents, then you discuss that with your parents. If you want to discuss it with your sibling, you can. But there's also a little bit of accountability that you might want to take. So how much of this is a trigger for you because of an insecurity that you have? And how much of this is actually something that your brother or your sister is doing in order to um, affect the relationship and the dynamics in the household. So I think you need to be very careful to recognize where the, um, the discomfort is coming from. And sometimes what ends up happening is that we'll see a sibling that we tend to have a difficulty with, where in fact our anger or our frustration resentment is more geared towards our parents, but that one's an easier target. Mm -hmm. So let's <laughs> displace all of our anger onto the sibling rather than target it where it needs to be targeted, which which is the parents. So it's important to kind of really take a proper reflection on, onto the dynamics and look at the situation for what it is rather than what it feels like. Good point. I wanted to come back to your um, response to that earlier message about kind of blaming parents um, and I guess looking looking to the past, if you are looking to resolve a relationship, and I know some therapists and maybe you, maybe you are a therapist, would want to go back and, and pick that, you know, what happened in childhood? What, you know, what were some of the conversations in, in the teen years? And kind of, I guess, excavate the past. Some prefer to work in the kind of the here and now, you know, we can't change the past, we can only change the present. How important is it to have a level of understanding about what happened years and years ago in order to, in order to repair for the future? Or is it a case of what's done is done and we can only work in, in the now? Oh, no, I am so against that mindset. <laughs> As a therapist, I cannot understand another therapist or another human being that says what's done is done and let's just move on because there's a very big difference between complete denial and acceptance. Mm -hmm. But in order to accept something and move forward from it, you need to first acknowledge and understand what happened. And our childhood is extremely important because that is those are our developmental years. That's where we learned how to resolve conflict. It's how we learned how to love ourselves. It's how we learned how to discuss things with other people. It's how we learned how to or not to set boundaries. I mean, there's so much that we learned then that it can't just be, oh, yeah, here we are. You know, like <laughs> we weren't just born now. So mm -hmm. essentially, whatever happened in our childhood has a significant impact into who we are and how we do things and why we do things today. So by just unpacking that, we don't have to live there and kind of be vi in victim mentality, but we have to look at it, acknowledge it, understand it so that we can then take that information and adjust it moving so that we can move forward rather than live in a, in a, in a place of mostly feeling stuck mm -hmm. and feeling like we're not really going to go anywhere or we go somewhere for about like six months and then we end up coming backwards and then we go again for six months and then we end up coming backwards is because we're not really getting to the root cause of things. Thank you for that. Really, really interesting take. A cat's been in touch on 4001 saying, um, is there an age gap that mitigates sibling rivalry as much as possible? We have a baby and would like another child and curious if there's any data on this. Great question. So if, is, is two years the sweet spot? Should you have a five year gap so they'll just love each other forever? Or is there absolutely no age gap that makes any difference at all? What do we, what do we know about this, Dr. T? Actually, the research shows that three to four years is the best 
um, age gap between children. And the reason for that is because it lessens the competition between children. It actually increases their self-esteem. It gives the mom some time or enough time to spend with it, with one child and then shift attention to the other child. And by that time, that first child is more dependent. They're more secure within themselves. So it allows the child to not feel as jealous and as competitive for the mother's attention um, or the primary caregiver's attention. Yet there's also some research that shows that that an age gap of more than four years can actually lead to more pro-social behavior in children as well as greater affection between siblings and more likely to have one child admire and kind of look up to another child. But the, the sweet spot, if you will, is more three to four years. Where was this advice seven years ago, Thry? There's two years between my kids. And I tell you what, they're a great advert for sibling rivalry right now. Um, my last question to you, Dr. T. Imagine you got the call and Prince Harry needs a therapist. What advice would you give him about moving forward after the bombshells that have been dropped over the last couple of weeks about, he's saying he wants his brother back. Oh no, you're making a face. What What would you say? Well... I would say instead of airing it out on TV, why don't you have a go, go have a conversation with your brother? If I had the applause button, comment. it would be pressed right now. In fact, that would be my first like <laughs> thing to say because honestly, I find it a bit strange that it's okay to share that information with everyone else and completely drop a bomb on your brother and then yet still expect that there's some there's going to be something that can be rekindled there without any sense of respect for another person's privacy. There's so much boundary crossing there that is not being accounted for. That being said, maybe he didn't feel safe enough. I'm not sure. I don't really know the details behind their whole relationship. But what I would say is <laughs> Have that... Have you read the book yet? <laughs> I haven't. And I don't think I will touch I it, to be honest. I am definitely but, not touching it. No chance. But I, but I would definitely say start with showing the same respect that you're expecting. Wise words for everyone in any walk of life, royal or otherwise. Dr. Thraya, thank you so much for your time today. Always an absolute pleasure. We'll catch up with you next week. And if you do want Dr. Thraya's details, just send me a message saying Dr. T and I will send you the link. She's there at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.